Today's scripture reading is from Proverbs chapter 4. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of, of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouths free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Well, this, uh, this summer we're doing a series taking from the book of Proverbs um, about wisdom for living. And so, um, you know, and wisdom being not just, you know, information or knowledge, but, but it, it's the art of living well. And wisdom comes, like, I think today we see practical wisdom just at play. How should we live? You know, people sitting in the shade versus sitting in the sun. That's, that's wisdom. That's, that's why. So y'all are putting that into application today. But it is nice. So wisdom might be sitting in the sun as well. It depends on the circumstances. But uh, it is, you know, my favorite time of year uh, when all of the advertisers start encouraging us to, uh, to find a gift for that special dad or grad in our life. Um, and Amy knows uh, more than anything that this, uh, for some reason, this phrase, dads and grads, is like a nails on a chalkboard uh, for my ears for whatever reason. But regardless uh, of that, this, this past Friday marked a blessed day. Uh, it was in, in our family's life. It was the end of the 2021 2020-2021 school year. I know summer is sometimes scary, uh, but, but if I could kind of men in black style erase a year uh, of education from my life, it would be this past year. And at the end of the academic year, um, you know, it marks those great transitions, and we have those traditions that go along with those transitions, and that is, of course, the tradition of commencement where we get, you know, uh, used to be, but in the before times, you know, we would pack uh, friends and, and family and, and siblings and grandparents into an auditorium. Or uh, in my day, you know, we'd sit in the bleachers, uh, usually under a hot baking sun, and, and, and we would mark that great life transition. And, and we would hear speeches, speeches that are filled with some of the best cliches and platitudes about, you know, what, what you're going forth to in life about what comes next. I mean, the best move that one can make in these circumstances is to read from uh, Dr. Seuss's, Oh, the places you'll go. Now, as I was thinking about this and thinking about commencement, I was thinking of my own commencement experiences. And so I wonder if you think back sort of in your mental uh, Rolodex, do you remember your own commencement? What do you remember 
about your own commencement. Um, I don't remember much about all of them. Actually, I remember more about my junior high commencement than I do about my high school commencement. We had Diana Pierce, the great local newswoman, Diana Pierce, spoke at my junior high commencement, and I received a Susan B. Anthony dollar as a token for graduating because I went to Susan B. Anthony Middle School, which I promptly spent within two weeks of graduating uh, junior high school. And, uh, but I don't remember my high school commencement, nor do I remember my seminary commencement. And to prove I don't remember my high school commencement, I had to ask my parents if I spoke at my high school commencement, which they confirmed that I did. So that tells you uh, that tells you how much I was paying attention. And Amy and I did have famous Dave Anderson, he of famous Dave barbecue fame, spoke when we graduated from the U. But what's remarkable really about commencement addresses, I think, is how unremarkable they are. And my thesis is that uh, the only truly great commencement address of the 21st century was given by the, uh, the novelist David Foster Wallace at Kenyon College in 2005. And I think the only other great American commencement address I can think of is when Alexander Solzhenitsyn gave the commencement address at Harvard. I think it was in the late 70s or, or early 80s. But, uh, you know, if you have other examples, please prove me wrong. But, uh, you know, as I was doing my research for this sermon, I, I Googled best commencement speeches, uh, and my, my, my thesis that there's not really any great commencement speeches was only confirmed by this, because you know if you're giving a commencement address, you, knew, you Google great commencement speeches to do that, just like if you're giving a best man speech, you Google great best man speeches, and so, uh, and so the, 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 the best article I found on this came from Teen Vogue, and it was giving the best commencement speeches in history, and it included quotes from, I mean, these are like great public speakers, so we have Oprah Winfrey, we have uh, both of the Obamas, we have Josh, uh, Joss Whedon, sorry, J.K. Rowling, Conan O'Brien. And let me tell you, I, I read these top quotes, and they don't say anything that's worth remembering at all. And the number one quote, though, came from another commencement address in 2005, which was given by none other than Steve Jobs at Stanford University. And this is how he addressed the, the graduates of one of the finest institutions of higher learning in, in the world. He said this, he said, you've got to find what you love. And that is true for your work as it is for your lovers. Your work is going to fill a large part of your life. And the only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work. And the only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking, don't settle. As with all matters of the heart, you'll know it when you find it. It does. I, I'm not like I just gotta say, cliche platitude. Steve Jobs, you invented the iPod. You could do better than this. But the reason I say all that is not just this is not just because it's the time of year, but actually, what we see in Proverbs chapter four is an example in Scripture of what is a, a sort of commencement address. And as I was reading through the commentaries, more than a couple of them mentioned that the entirety of Proverbs chapter four, including our passage, is it's a farewell speech. It's a commencement speech that's given to a graduating class of young scholars who have been training for years and who are now ready to go off and face the world on their own. And so it's actually interesting to compare uh, what our modern-day commencement speakers stress versus what uh, the, the teacher, the, the Solomonic teacher of wisdom in the book of Proverbs says to his. And so our commencement addresses, I think universally they tend to focus on, on the pursuit of individual uh, fulfillment and, and achievement and, and personal happiness. But the focus in Proverbs is on the, the pursuit 
of wisdom, which leads to something. And it's this word that's, it's kind of the thread that ties and runs through the whole passage. And the word there is this, it's, it's life. The pursuit of wisdom, which leads to life. If you've seen a fiddler on the roof, you know, l'chaim, to life. Chaim is life. And of course, life in scripture is about more than being, you know, vertical and breathing. Right? Life is life lived in relationship with the living God. It's being activated by him towards the ends for which we're recreated. It's living into God's purposes for us, uh, which are to embody his covenant values of faithfulness and holiness, righteousness, justice, and love. The kind of life that, that flourishes and blesses and endures. And, and even in the Old Testament, which doesn't have a lot to say about, you know, kind of life after death or e- eternal life. It, it points to the kind of life that, 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 that extends beyond natural human existence. And so the admonishment, the encouragement, the, the charge of our commencement speaker here in Proverbs is to pursue and to hold fast to wisdom because that's what leads to this kind of pure, flourishing, everlasting life. Now, that sounds pretty great to me. But the question remains, okay, if wisdom is so great, if it's so important, if I need to pursue it, if I need to lay hold of it, if I need to guard it, how, how do I get it? Right, that's the question. You can tell me something's great, but how do I get this great thing? And so the answer that we see in our passage, I, I want to look at three things here. Uh, two that are really explicit, and one of them is implicit, but equally as important. And the first is that the pursuit of wisdom is like walking a path. And the second is that it's like being a healthy body. And, and finally, wisdom is something that's passed from one generation to the next. So first, wisdom is like walking on the right path. And so our proverbial commencement speaker addresses the graduates, reminding them that he has led them on, quote, paths of righteousness. And so this language of life and the life of faith being like walking down a path, it's a common trope in scripture. It's a common trope outside of scripture. And it's common because it makes intuitive sense, right? We understand our lives as having a beginning, a middle, and an end. And so the question is, where are we going? What are we pursuing? And as cliched as it sounds, it's cliched for a reason. It's true. We're walking through this life. We have to choose a direction. We have to choose a path. We have to choose the kind of things that we're going to pursue. That's why the words of, you know, Robert Frost's famous poem, The Road Less Traveled, what does he say? You know, he begins with two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And immediately and intuitively, we have this sense of what he's talking about. You know, that, that in our life, we're going to have to choose a path. We're going to have to continue to go down that road. Or we might find ourselves having to choose another way. And so the simple message of Proverbs is that when it comes to wisdom, we're faced, though, not just with a singular choice. Are we going to pursue it or not? Important as that choice is. But we're also faced with the decision each and every day, each and every step we take, whether or not we're going to continue down that road or are we going to choose another. And so each day we get to choose if we are going to take another step towards God or are we going to turn around and go in, an, in, another, in another and inevitably much darker direction. And so the message here is very important for those of us who consider ourselves Christians to hear about the importance of that daily choice, that daily decision, because some of us, many of us maybe even, you know, were raised in traditions, and I include myself in this number, that, that stress the importance of making a decision or a commitment to Christ. And I don't want to downplay that, you know, that was important in my own walk of faith. A couple seminal moments stand out. 
where I was convicted and, and convinced of the truth and the beauty of the gospel. But that moment, it really means nothing if, if it's not the commencement of a journey with Christ. And what matters as much as that, you know, one big yes with an exclamation point at the beginning is all the other small yeses we say, step by step, day by day, week by week, month by month, and decade by decade. Because after all that time, we realize that we've gotten very far down the road with God. And oftentimes, though, we might feel like we're stuck or we're standing still or we're not making any progress. We're not going anywhere. And so I say that, 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 that when we're feeling that way, though, the challenge that we have here from this scripture is to ask ourselves every single day, just what have I done? How have I said yes to God in a small way today? So have I returned an unkind word with a kind one? Have I asked for forgiveness for a wrong I've done? Have I prayed a simple prayer of thanksgiving? Have I gone out of my way to listen? Have I uh, cracked the cover of my Bible? Have I tried to learn something new or gain some kind of new insight or understanding into the world? Have I sought to serve someone else when everything in me was telling me to just be selfish? Right? All of these questions, these are not the most profound questions in the world, but, but all of them can direct us in small ways to saying yes to God, which is just another small step on the path with God, which is the path to wisdom, which is the path to life. The kind of life that Jesus promises in, in John chapter 10, where he says, you know, the thief comes to kill and destroy, lead you down the wrong path, but I came that you might have life and have it in abundance. Now, conversely, each day that we fail to say yes to God, it's just as bad as, as saying no and taking another step away from him, which is another step in, in the words of this, this chapter towards darkness and towards ignorance. But the good news is that if we said, hey, listen, I haven't said yes very much. I've said a lot of no's to God. That God is in the business of finding lost people. That's, that's, that's God's business. God is in the business of saying yes to people who said no to him, maybe for their entire lives, of inviting everyone, no matter who they are, no matter where they are, to take a step toward him and to leave the old way of, way of life behind and enter into a new way of living in the world. St. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that Jesus Christ is God's yes to us. So ask yourself, you showed up this morning. I'm going to say that counts as a yes. So you said yes already at least once today. So what's another way that you can say yes to him today? All right, so uh, pursuing wisdom is like walking down a path, one foot in front of the other. But the, the next point that the proverbial commencement speaker makes is this, that, that the pursuing wisdom is, is like a healthy body. And so it says this, my son or my daughter, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life, there's that word again, life to those who find them, and health to one's whole body. Um, I'm done with these pages anyway. So then he goes on to, to play off how the pursuit of wisdom involves all of one's senses, from, from sight uh, to speech to hearing to walking. And so the healthy operation of all of those things is part of pursuing and preserving wisdom. And, and verse 23 sums it up in, in these famous words where it says, above all else, guard your heart, 
everything you do flows from it. And actually, that translation kind of obscures it. In other translations, it says, you know, from that flows all life. So there's that word again. Guard your heart because that's where the life is at. Now, this verse, uh, guard your heart, often, you know, uh, this verse often gets interpreted, I think, wrongly. Uh, one, guard your heart means basically keep the bad stuff out. So guard your heart. Don't, you know, don't listen to CDs with a parental advisory sticker on them. You know, don't watch a rated R movie. Uh, don't play a violent video game, you know, and, and, and that could be sort of good advice so far as it goes. Or, you know, guard your heart means be, basically be like, be careful who you fall in love with, because if you fall in love with the wrong person, they're going to hurt you. Also, good life advice as far as it goes. But, but what guard your heart means, what the Proverbs are talking about, is not so much about keeping bad stuff out as keeping the good stuff in. Because the, the commencement speaker here, he's taught these students well. He says, you've got wisdom. It's, it's in there. It's in your heart. And, and, and so be careful not to squander it, to waste it, to let it out. And so you do that. You keep it, you guard it, you preserve it by doing the things that he says, you know, keeping your eyes on the prize and your feet moving in the right direction on the path by directing all of your faculties toward that pursuit, which means you're going to be a healthy person. And what's, you know, I think a good definition of health is that your, your physical and your mental faculties are operating as they should towards their proper ends. And so the pursuit of wisdom, as we see here, it's a holistic affair. To, to put it in other biblical terms, it's like, you know, when Jesus is asked that question, you know, teacher, what, 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 what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And so the pursuit of wisdom, it, it involves the proper ordering of our affections, the things we love, all our heart, the proper directing of our wills, what we desire, so all our soul. And it involves our intellect that we seek to, all we seek to know and understand. So loving God with our minds. And so the pursuit of wisdom, it's not compartmentalized, it's not fragmented, but it involves all of these faculties, you know, head, heart, will, uh, working together just like a healthy body. And that's so important because when we're, when we're unhealthy, it's usually because we've emphasized one of these uh, to the neglect of the other two. So, you know, if we're just loving God with our hearts in isolation, that's mere sentimentality. Or if it's just with our minds, that's kind of a, a cold, dead, scholastic, rationalistic orthodoxy. Or if it's just with our wills, then it's really this kind of, you know, moralizing self-improvement strategy. But when all of them are working together, they're going to direct us towards being healthy and whole and loving God and neighbor and everything that that does to bring life. And it's a life that we receive, that we don't generate from within ourselves, but that it comes by the grace of God when we're living in harmony with the purposes for which God has created and redeemed us in Christ. All right, so now, last point here. So first point, wisdom's like walking a path. Put one foot in front of the other. Small ways to say yes. Uh, second part, wisdom's like a healthy body. That means, you know, making sure that we're loving God. God has our affections. God has our wills. God, God has our, our heads. But finally, we see that wisdom is passed from one generation to the next, from teacher to student, from parent to child, from one generation to another. Wisdom comes from teaching each subsequent generation, you know, the great tradition. And tradition itself, it's a Latin word. I think I mentioned this last week. It just means to, to hand down, to pass on. 
That means that each and every one of us have a role to play in, in, in that passing down process. And, and, and we're playing dual roles almost all the time as students and also as teachers. Now, one of my favorite quotes from Chesterton is this about tradition. He says, I've never been unable to understand where people got the idea that democracy was in some way opposed to tradition. It's obvious that tradition is only democracy extended through time. It is trusting to a consensus of common human voices rather than some isolated or arbitrary record. Tradition may be defined as an extension of the franchise. Tradition means giving votes to the most obscure of all classes, our ancestors. It is the democracy of the dead. Tradition refuses to submit to the small and arrogant oligarchy of those who merely happen to be walking about. All Democrats object to men being disqualified by the accident of birth. Tradition objects to their being disqualified by the accident of death. And so passing on this great tradition, it presents us, though, with a particular challenge today. I was, um, I was reading an interview in uh, Christianity Today of the great Notre Dame sociologist Christian Smith. And Christian Smith, uh, he has probably done more to study kind of the religiosity of, you know, people in my generation and, and below of anyone else in the 21st century. And so he is like the expert on this. And he has a new book coming out um, that's called Handing Down the Faith, How Parents Pass Their Religion On to the Next Generation. And what this book does is it summarizes this massive research project he undertook um, with his co-author that found, and I think this is, this is unsurprising, will be unsurprising to us, that in terms of how does this happen, what kind of traditioning, what kind of passing down are parents looking for today, um, you know, what kind of traditioning are they looking to, is, is he says, well, what our research found is that what parents are looking for in terms of passing on the faith to their children is, is something akin to what modern commencement addresses are promising that they want something that's a path towards personal fulfillment and happiness. Parents want a religious formation that will make their kids happy and successful in life. And so it's very much about kind of individual identity versus any kind of communal solidarity. And it's very much about the imminent, you know, the here and now versus any kind of, you know, transcendent uh, reality. You know, parents are, are worried more about their, their, their kids' psyche than they are uh, their souls. And so he found that these attitudes, though, they were pervasive uh, across, you know, uh, the Christian, uh, you know, the, the Christian spectrum. So from uh, progressive to conservative and even across religious traditions. So not just Christians, that, 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 that all religious people in, in America kind of have this as a core value. They want a tradition, a passing on that emphasizes personal happiness and fulfillment. Now, I could go on a rant right now about how the parents are wrong and they're just buying into consumeristic society, or I could also go on a rant about kids these days, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to say that, that this sets sort of the context for the challenge that we face, that you know, when we're trying to do the kind of education that Proverbs is talking about, you know, holistic, life-giving, full-hearted pursuit of God, it's not a product that we can package, it's not a lifestyle, it's not a brand. It's a whole way of being and of living in the world. And so the challenge of traditioning, it's a challenge that we've been entrusted with, that we've taken upon ourselves, and that we've committed ourselves to. We even did it today. And so we owe it, though, to Evangeline, and we owe it to Nora, and we owe it to August, and we owe it to Beatrice, and we owe it to Frankie B, and we owe it to Harlow, and we owe it to Hudson, and we owe it to Harrison, we owe it to Isabella, Am I forgetting any babies? 
Okay, I don't think I've forgotten. Any, I don't think I've forgotten anyone's children. I don't want to leave any kids out, and the older kids too. I owe it to my own children. But I'm just thinking of these babies who've just been born this past year. We owe it to them. We owe it to the parents. We owe it to our parents who pass it on to us. And as this passage shows, there aren't any shortcuts. There's no, you know, one weird trick. Just the call to heed the words of Jesus that Matt mentioned at the beginning of our series to, to come and learn from him, to take his yoke upon him and learn what Eugene Peterson translates as the unforced rhythms of grace. And so the baton has been passed to us and we've been charged with, with passing it on and not dropping it into the ground or kind of turning it into something else. And then the really scary part is this. At some point, we've got to trust God enough to let our own kids run with it. God help us, but he will. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Please pray with me.